Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Don, we have a great show lined up for today, as usual. You know, we're going to start off talking about um, early retirement. We're talking about super early retirement. That's a good topic. It really is. You know, it's a, it's a fun topic to talk about. A lot of people dream about that, retiring super early. This is based on an article here recently. And, um, you know, but there are some pitfalls to it. And uh, so some things you need to think about. Things, if you if you have a goal of retiring like in your late 40s or even early 50s, you know, that's going to take some special effort. So we're going to talk about the steps and some of the potential pitfalls of that um, if that's something that you have a, a goal for. And we do have clients that are retiring early, right? So that's we right. have some experience in this and uh, we have some some really good thoughts on that. So that's a great great conversation. And we're going to turn to uh, healthcare savings accounts. And Steve, we, we do highlight this pretty frequently on the on the show here, but uh, this is a really good conversation about HSAs. A lot of people are confused about HSAs, um, healthcare saving accounts. There's also something called FSA, and um, there's some confusion on that one as well. So if you don't have an HSA, um, you need to listen to this. Very, very timely information. A lot of plans are adding these next year. Uh, so stick with us on that. Yeah, those are great accounts. So that'll be a great topic. By the way, I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Vester Pro with over 23 years' experience in providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis, also a Dave Ramsey Smart Vester Pro. I have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 25 years. We're excited to have you listening to us today on our weekly show. Our podcasts are up every Friday afternoon. Yeah, go check out our website, moneymd.net. We have a link to all the podcasts couple hundred now we've been doing this for uh for years uh 2011 i think was the first that's right over first year over seven years yeah fantastic and we also have a lot of tools on the on the web as well um from retirement planning tools some college planning tools have a lot of videos out there so go check it out you can spend a lot of time get some really good information facebook page is uh out there as well money md and also where i have a twitter handle that's right. Absolutely. So moneymd.net, that's where we're at. You can also email us your questions there. You can link to us directly, or you can email us directly at info at moneymd.net. Well, John, we're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, this is kind of a, a fun fact. This has to do with printing money. And surprisingly, the U.S. Treasury is printing about $35 billion a day, but that is actually less than what's being printed from Monopoly. <laughs> so there's more monopoly money out there yeah. well some people would say that the treasury is printing monopoly money that's right <laughs> yeah you can make an argument for that 35 billion a day is a lot but monopoly uh, i didn't realize it was that popular they're still selling a lot of monopoly sets that's I, good. I take it people, that's good that's good family's still sitting around doing the monopoly game you know Talking right. about boardwalk or, you know. <laughs> That's right. I will say, though, the Treasury, I mean, without inflation, that does prove otherwise. The Treasury is not printing monopoly money. And as GDP grows, they can print more money without inflation. And that's, that's what's been happening. That's what so, we're seeing. Uh, Interesting fact of the week, though. Uh, a lot of monopoly sets out there. Okay. And that leads up here to our first topic. And that is, is retiring super early really a good idea? Um, this is an article out of Market Watch very recently. And John, there's a new acronym for retiring super early that's kind of catching on with millennials. It's called FIRE, F I R E. Mm. 
And it's short for financial independence, retire early. Um, and it's kind of burned up on the internet, you know, there are hundreds, if not thousands of bloggers out there that are sharing their goals of leaving their nine to five jobs to write about how they plan to do that <clears throat> at a very early age. And they tend not to reveal their names because, you know, they're still employed and they're afraid of losing their jobs. If they, the employer knows their, their goals to be <laughs> out of there in five years, you know, but, um, you know, some of them, though, they choose to give up their careers early entirely. And while others choose to maybe freelance um, in the industry they want to work in or some new part time job. Um, but given the number of readers out there and bloggers that are talking about this, it's clear there's a lot of interest in this concept. Reddick, which is a popular website, it has an entire section devoted to financial independence, you know, a very early age where users discuss the various threads of how to accomplish early retirement. I mean, they trade tips for specific industries, and they share personal experiences and their methods. But, you know, not all the members of the FIRE community agree on how much you actually need to accumulate in order to retire super early or how to go about saving that much. But they tend to all agree that the concept is very exciting and worth the extra effort and work and uh, sacrifice to get you there. Yeah, the question, though, is, um, is that really the the case? Marco Watch spoke with uh, some financial advisors about the financial and emotional consequences of early retirement, and uh, they received some surprising words of caution. In fact, most financial planners seem to discourage trying to retire too early. Uh, citing several common pitfalls of super early retirement. And some of these concerns can uh, can cause irreparable damage to your financial success and, and even your happiness in retirement. So we're going to dig into a couple of these issues and make sure that you're aware of some of the, the issues, um, you know, before you hang up the uh, the old lunch pail, right? That's right. <clears throat> That's right. And, uh, you know, so one of the, the issues, and some of these are tips of how to get there as well, um, but one of the issues is there's no more active income, obviously, if you retire super early. So early retirees, they give up the potential for the high earnings, especially considering that wages, they tend to rise well into your middle age or beyond for many Americans. Earnings tend to peak about 40, about age 48 for men and 39 for women, according to analysis by Payscale. However, there are many careers where salaries rise all the way up until retirement. <clears throat> so retiring early, particularly super early, is giving up, you know, most of your peak earnings potential. Um, trade jobs, they send, tend to peak at an earlier age, whereas professional jobs may not peak until their 50s or even 60s. So, but here's one way to figure out if early retirement <clears throat> is a sound financial decision and that is if your savings and investments can produce an equivalent after-tax earnings to your current income and there's room for those earnings and that income to grow to keep up with inflation, then it might work. Uh, but early retirees also have to consider the other components of the compensation, including you know insurance coverage and the employer match in your 401k plan. I mean, those are all critical parts of your compensation and you're going to have to replace that somehow if you retire super early. So you got to have a plan for that. But saying goodbye to active income also means potentially reducing your social security benefits, which uses the highest 35 years of your earnings, right? So if you believe that social security is going to be part of your retirement income, then reducing your working years can have a very significant impact on your financial benefit 
from Social Security, and it kind of cuts one of the legs out from under your three-legged stool of retirement income, which, John, we know is pensions, Social Security, and retirement savings. Yeah, that's right. So you, you got to make sure you understand really how much work is involved here. I mean, saving that kind of money, you need to retire 10 years early really takes a remarkable amount of discipline and sacrifice. And some say the idea of sustainable you know, passive income, uh, enough to last through retirement and thereafter, is a pipe dream. And I don't necessarily agree with that, but it is certainly challenging. Um, you know, one of the things you have to focus on is make sure that, um, you know, you have some passion in a different area and um, make sure you live well below your means and you save a large portion of your income to build something for yourself over, you know, seven to 10 years. Then you can transition from your day job to your own business. So um, it's not impossible, but it does take a, a significant amount of planning. Absolutely. And you need to accumulate a large amount of assets in order to generate significant amounts of passive income for a very early retirement. Um, So you're going to have to work and save very hard over many years. You're going to have to not spend a lot of money in order to accumulate those assets. You know, there's no no easy way to do it, um, you know, short of winning the lottery. So you're definitely it's definitely going to require a lot of discipline and and hard work to get you there. And you're going to have to untether yourself from the consumer culture Um, to save enough. Early retirement hopefuls will have to work extra hard, change their lifestyles. You know, they're going to have to live like no one else early in order to Mm -hmm. live like no one else later. To to quote Dave, you know, Ramsey, um, which may involve cutting back on eating out, you know, movies, vacations. They often have to live on a shoestring budget and they forego things like, you know, that life uh, uh, that make life enjoyable, according to, you know, financial planners out there. So aggressively saving is never a bad thing. Um, Even people who don't want to retire early should try to save up to 20 percent of their gross income if possible. Um, We recommend 15 percent as kind of a standard goal. Mm -hmm. Um, But there has to be some balance, too. You know, I mean, we believe certainly that that people should use their money to live their best lives according to their values and their beliefs and, you know, not rob yourself of, you know, happiness while you're on that that path to retirement. Yeah. And one of the keys to achieving financial independence is, um, you know, being able to spend less on the non-essentials. Um, you know, the, the rise of the fire movement, um, comes at a time when people are prioritizing experiences over material possessions. And, um, you know, like you said, you know, cooking more meals at home, doing repairs around the house when possible. You know, there's also a lot of, when you start talking about vacations, a lot of less expensive excursions, like going to the beach, um, you know, for a day or two days. Uh, when you go to the ball game, maybe you sit in the cheap bleacher seats. Uh, maybe you hike, enjoy potluck dinner at someone else's home. So you can still have fun doing that. Their experiences is not all about, you know, having to spend $300 for a ticket to go to a you know, baseball game. That's right. You can mooch off your parents. That's, That's right. what our kids do, you know, come, yeah. come for the weekend yeah, and just, hey, no problem. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, there are a lot of ways to do that, to cut your income down. But you really got to be serious if you're going to going to try to retire at that kind of age because Social Security, Medicare, other federal benefits, they all have age restrictions. Most individual retirement accounts and 401k plans aren't available without a penalty until age 59 and a half. And the 10% early withdrawal penalty is severe enough to, to make it unlikely that those income sources will make sense um, in early retirement, you know, until age 59 and a half and even age 62 when Social Security kicks in. 
And so, you know, that's those are kind of benchmarks, and that's why most people don't retire until age 62 when you can draw Social Security and have full access to your retirement plans. So to make early retirement work, individuals have to aggressively save, create a financial plan that factors in which amounts they can use and when, and have a plan for being able to create income between age you know, 50 or whenever you choose to retire and age 62 when Social Security kicks in or 59 and a half when you can least have access to your retirement plans. Um, You know, another thing you have to think about is there is kind of an identity crisis sometimes for early retirees, particularly people that retire super early. You know, while hanging up your lunch pail at a very early age, 45 or 50 might sound like a dream come true, it could come with some unexpected psychological stress. You know, it might be hard to imagine, but many people, particularly men, they kind of attach a lot of their identity to their profession. And it's not difficult, you know, <clears throat> if it's not difficult enough to detach from that identity at age age 60, it's even harder at an early age. It seems, you know, that your, your friend, if your friends are still working um, and talking about their profession, it's doubly difficult to detach from that professional life and call yourself retired without feeling like you've lost part of your self-worth or your reason for getting out of bed. Um, So be sure that you're the type person who can derive your self-esteem from other things than your profession before you pull the lever on an early retirement. Otherwise, you might find yourself feeling blue long before you have time to feel, feel golden. Yeah, you know, and another one here, Steve, on the list that is um, can can be concerning if you do retire early is um, really, you know, the unexpected medical expenses. I mean, they're really unpredictable. Um, you know, one of the reasons why some people say you shouldn't retire in your 40s is because life happens. A lot of unexpected things uh, can happen to you that can totally derail the uh, early retirement plan. And people tend to, to really underestimate the health care cost. And uh, many have trouble paying for their health insurance, and that's according to the Kaiser Family Foundation. And as a result, many people delay health care, um, you know, because it's too expensive. Some even skip medical exams and treatment, um, while others aren't even filling prescriptions, the foundation said. And for a 65-year-old American couple retiring in 2018, the estimated cost of health care is about $280,000 through retirement, and that figure is expected to rise indefinitely, and that estimate doesn't even include long-term care. So you know, this level of expenses simply doesn't fit into a super early retirement plan. So you, you do have to have a strategy on medical. There are some different options out there um, that we talk, talk about periodically, the, the MediShare and so forth, but it's a big question mark. It is a big issue you have to overcome <clears throat> for super early retirement. So what are some of the questions you need to ask yourself before taking that leap of faith and, you know, kind of jumping on the bandwagon of fire, you know, financial independence, retire super early? Um, If you're still interested in retiring early, you need to ask yourself these questions. Where will you get your health insurance before age 65 when Medicare starts? Have you factored in the cost of health care for your early retirement estimates? Um do you have a financial reserve so that you don't have to take Social Security as soon as it becomes available? Um, the longer you wait, the more Social Security income you'll have. And, you know, Social Security goes up by about 8% per year if you can delay it. So um, if you both start drawing at 62, you know, you're, you're locking that in for life. Um, how long do you think you'll live? 
You know, the answer will determine how much you'll need to save and stretch through the next five, maybe six decades. So you have to have a, a longevity plan as well. How much guaranteed income do you have, such as pensions and annuities? Because that's one of the three legs, you know, of that retirement stool for retirement income. Uh, have you made a financial plan for your estimated living cost in retirement? And it, does it include inflation increases? Inflation is very, very important in retirement, so you have to have a plan for how to deal with that, you know, looking out 30, 40 years. And how might the stock market affect your assets if there were a big downturn later on in life? Um, so you have to have a plan for, you know, how you're going to ride out the ups and downs of the stock market if you retire. So, you know, retiring very early is something that could allow many more years of good times at an age when adults are still in great health. Um, however, doing it on a wing, wing and a prayer is a recipe for possible disaster later on in life. Like most things, planning is crucial for success here. It's difficult to go back to work once you figure out um, <clears throat> that things aren't working out. So if you're really planning to pursue a very early retirement, make sure you can answer all these questions with confidence and you have a, a sound uh, retirement plan. Yeah, that's key. That's the moral of the story there. Okay, and that leads us up here to our question of the week. This question has to do with a 401k. Uh, this company has a uh, service that provides investment advice, um, probably financial engines or something similar. And should I pay them um, to to help the, help me with my allocation? And if you're a client of ours, I would say no, because we provide that as a service to our clients, right? right. We do the 401k allocations. If you're working with another uh, advisor, uh, I would go to them and see if they can help you with that allocation. And um, if you have neither one of those, um, then you can certainly uh, subscribe to that. I think it's about, um, I don't know. Half a percent per yeah, year, maybe. Something like that. So uh, a target date fund is another option. Gives you pretty good um, you know, allocations. Uh, would be a little bit cheaper than, than that. They don't really provide any tax advice or any planning or anything like that. It's just the allocation. That's all they give you is the allocation. And, you know, and, and since... Most retirement plans have a limited number of funds, um, and those funds rarely change. There's really not a need for any kind of active management there. Um, so, you know, my inclination would be get a great allocation, leave it in that allocation for a long period of time, only change it if new funds come available, um, or you maybe hit a, you know, you're, you're getting within that 10-year window of retirement. So, uh, I would probably stay away from the uh, the services like financial engines, you know, that 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 charge you for investment advice in your four hundred one k plan. But uh, you know, certainly try to get some help and try to get a great allocation for your plan, um, and then just just leave it alone. Yeah, yeah. So and rebalance it. Of yeah, course. do some rebalancing. Do, do, do some rebalancing. But uh, great question of the week, and that leads up to our next topic here, and that is. Um, you know, HSA accounts, health savings accounts. Yeah, this is a, a great place. Um, a lot of people don't know about this, Steve. This comes from uh, CNBC, Darla Mercado. And, um, you know, health, health uh, savings accounts, they allow you to put money um, on a pre-tax or tax-deductible basis, and you can it grows tax-free, and you can take withdrawals for qualified medical expenses tax-free. So, yeah, I think these are amazing accounts. If you're not using one, you're missing the best tax 
deferred tax-free benefit um, that can help you in retirement of anything that's out there. It's, that, it's a double tax benefit. Absolutely. It really is the only account that is structured like that, too. So right. uh, about eight out of every 10 consumers who aren't enrolled in these savings accounts, they're really confused about how they work. And, you know, if you haven't seen this tax advantage, um, you know, savings account offered with your health care um, you know, plan at work, odds are it's going to come across this year. And so you can say hello to the healthcare savings account. It's a way that workers can put money away, like we said, on a pre-tax basis, and they can pull it out on the backside, um, you know, tax-free to pay qualified expenses. So typically these so-called HSAs, they work in conjunction with a high-deductible health insurance plan. And, you know, health in, health insurance, the deductibles can be as low as, you know, 2700 for a family in 2019 we do see them much higher than that 5000 7000 some cases 10000 so but it has to be paired um, with a high deductible plan and you can't fund an HSA if you're on Medicare. So that's one of the, yeah. And those limits aren't really a high deductible plan anymore. You know, it used to be when they came out with HSAs that that was considered high deductible. Now that's the low deductible mm-hmm. in today's world. Yeah, so, no doubt. you know, but the other caveat I think is it cannot pay for routine office visits. Um, that has to go toward your deductible. So it can't have a copay for office visits right. to be a qualified HSA um, um, you know, health plan. So, uh, so there are a couple stipulations for it to qualify, but they say here nine out of 10 employers expect to offer high deductible HSA qualified plans in 2019, according to a recent survey by the National Business Group on Health. And so, um, you know, the association which represents employers, they polled 170 comp- companies here in May of June of this year. And, um, you know, it's it's going to be widely available if it's not already. So chances are you, you do have that offered in your uh, in your health plan. So you need to try to take advantage of it. Yeah. So um, here's some things that people are getting wrong about HSAs. And one of them is um, they just don't understand it. Close to 80 percent of consumers who are not enrolled in HSAs and other medical savings accounts, they really don't understand how they work. And this is coming from a um, provider called Allegus HSA Administration Software. They did a survey of over 1,400 consumers. And in fact, people who aren't in these um, savings accounts, they tend to confuse HSA with another employee benefit. There's something called an FSA, and that's a flexible spending arrangement. And people assume that they're all the same, and that's really not true. The FSA is really a use it or lose it. So you'll want to set aside what you need for that year. Um, and if you don't use it, you're going to lose it. So you got to be very careful. But the HSA is structured really around current medical costs, but also future medical costs. And you can keep those long term. So it, the HSA does not go away. And in 2018, you could contribute about $6,900 for a family plan or $34.50 for a single. And uh, if you're over 55, there's an additional $1,000 that you can put into an HSA. Yeah, I think these are a no-brainer if you're qualified for it. <clears throat> you know, Kathy and I have been using this for over 10 years and, and trying to fully fund a plan, and we're kind of using that as our long-term care, you know, bucket for retirement mm-hmm. and uh, trying to leave it alone. And, I mean, it's an amazing plan because you get the upfront tax deduction for money that you put in, comes right off your gross income, and then it's tax-free when you pull it out when you use it for retirement. So it's like having a Roth IRA. It's like have, getting the IRA deduction for a regular IRA, but then having it treated as a Roth when you take it out. So you get the benefits of both 
both worlds. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just amazing. So, you know, in a situation where a married couple has family coverage under separate plans, but one is over 55, you can split the family contribution of $6,900, and the spouse that's over 55 can make an additional $1,000 contribution, according to uh, HSACoach.com here. So, you know, there's some great benefits here. You don't want to ignore HSA accounts. Yeah, and though someone who is enrolled in Medicare can't contribute to an HSA, his or her spouse who is still employed and is in an HSA-eligible plan, they can still um, save in that type of account. So, again, $6,900, another $1,000 contribution uh, over 55 uh, whereas the FSA, that flexible savings account, Steve, you can only put in twenty six fifty during 2018, and uh, it, it does go in on a pre-tax basis, but there's no back-end tax uh, savings that you have. And any contributions your employer makes to the FSA, it's excluded from your gross income, Um but uh, if you don't use it, you're going to lose it in the FSA. So you got to be very careful with that one. That's right. So here are some of the differences between HSA accounts and, and FSA, flexible spending accounts, because people get these two confused. Um, but there are a few, few key differences here. For one, it's the remaining balances. As you just mentioned, you can carry over your entire remaining balance in your HSA year after year all the way you know, into retirement. And, um, you know, year after year, whereas the FSA, the flexible spending account, it's a use it or lose it type plan. Your employer may give the option of carrying over up to $500 in the remaining funds into the following year, or they may give you a grace period of two and a half months after the end of the plan year to use the money. But otherwise, you can't carry it over. Yeah. The other difference here, Steve, is portability. Like we said, you know, if you leave your job, um, you can take that HSA with you. Um, you can go put it into another HSA plan, whereas the FSA does not work like that. Once you've parted ways with your employer, you can no longer participate in the FSA and you're going to forfeit any balances left over. So the FSA certainly is a little bit more restrictive. Yeah. And then there's fund access. You know, employees participating in HSAs and FSAs, they have amounts deducted from their paycheck um, to fund the accounts throughout the year. However, with FSAs, individuals, they elect to make a full contribution. Um, It's $2,650 in 2018, and they're able to access that full amount at the beginning of the year, even if they haven't fully funded it yet. So that's a positive. In the HSA, you can only tap the balance to the extent that you've actually made the contribution and funded it. So the money needs to accumulate before you use it in an HSA. Of course, you know, my recommendation is to try to leave it alone, let it grow tax-free, mm-hmm. and use it later on in life because yeah. you get to carry it with you forever. That's right. That's right. And uh, one of the last differences here, Steve, is investing. You know, depending on where you hold your HSA and how the money, uh, how much you have in there, there are some investment av- uh, options available. FSAs don't have any investment options. They don't earn any interest. And because you can invest your HSA and carry the money over from year to year, um, you know, you may be able to use it, like you said, for healthcare cost in retirement. So if you're planning on investing in your HSA, make sure you keep an eye on the uh, the fund lineup. There's mutual funds in there. Uh, make sure you understand and get a good allocation associated with that. But HSAs, we're really high on those, even as a part of the retirement plan. A lot of young folks today are, are looking at investing in you know, go get your match from your 401k, do some Roth money, and then right. also do some HSA money. 
get into retirement is going to be a really powerful combination for uh, you know reducing your taxes. It's a powerful tool, and you can fund it all the way up to age 65. After that, you can't add any more to your HSA accounts. So uh, if you have the option for that, you need to look into it. You need to try to use that because that is the best tax advantage vehicle on the planet. Mm-hmm. So don't, don't uh, ignore your HSA option. Okay, and that leads us up here to our final thing, and that is the prescription of the week. Yeah, so if you're married, uh, make sure you have your cars um, registered uh, as as joint, so both in both names. But make sure you put the or between those names, and that means that either of you can sign for or manage the registration um, when one of you pass. It's going to avoid probate and immediately be titled to the survivor. So this is a home run for estate planning, for personal vehicles, make sure you have or in there. If you have and, then you're going to have to get it retitled. But that or gives you a lot of flexibility. Yeah, it's an incredible tool because, like you said, it keeps it out of probate. So, you know, it makes it so much easier if one of you passes away. It makes it easy to manage it. Um, you're both owning the car, but either one of you can handle it, and it, it automatically goes to the other one. So, I mean, it's a no-brainer for estate planning for your vehicles. So definitely take a look at your registration of your vehicles and get it registered joint with or between the names. Okay, and that brings us to a close for this week's edition of Money MD. Do tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Check us out on our website, moneymd.net. And email us your questions at info at moneymd.net or give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Have a good one. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor.